Hey everyone, my name is Randall Heyer and I'm the worship arts pastor here at Cochrane Alliance Church. We are so glad that you've come to check out the latest sermon and we pray that you are encouraged, challenged, and ultimately that you are drawn closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Thank you that your spirit is here in our midst. We thank you that when your people gather together, you um, delight in being among them. And so we thank you for your presence here this morning. God, we declare that you are holy. There is no one like you. You are merciful and mighty in all your ways. You are righteous. You are just. And your overwhelming, never-ending love and grace and mercy chases after us, even when we are going in the opposite direction. We thank you for that reality. Amen. You may be seated. Half of you are seated already. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I want you to think back to the, to the time that you gave your life to Jesus. That moment, maybe you're in your bedroom, maybe you were in your car, maybe you were at work, and um, you, you gave your life to Jesus. Just think about that moment for a second. In that moment, in that period of time, began uh, a transformation. You were, tr- you were actually transformed in an instant. Um, you went from death to life in a very uh, a moment. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Christianity, uh, following Jesus, is a faith of transformation from going from death to life. At one, moment, at one moment, you were dead in your sins and trespasses, and when you gave your life to Jesus, you were transformed in a moment. You're, you were given a new spirit. As we continue our series on Acts today, uh, the story of the church and uh, the, the, the story of really the, the world being turned upside down uh, we look at a man, we come to Acts chapter 9, and we look at a man named Saul. And Saul was uh, most definitely dead in his trespasses and sins, and uh, we look at his conversion in Acts chapter 9 this morning. We're first introduced to Saul, actually uh, a, chapter or a chapter or two earlier in Acts 7 verse 58. And what's happening is Stephen, uh, um, a believer and leader in the church, he is giving a sermon. And the sermon kind of recounts all the, the past of God working throughout history. And uh, Stephen is kind of accusing the religious leaders of the days and saying, look, you, you've killed the prophets all throughout history, all the, the, the prophets that have come to warn us and to turn us back to God, you, you killed them all and now you've killed Jesus. 
But guess what? Jesus is not dead. He is alive. And they completely lost it. And they, they got so angry that they grabbed Stephen and they uh, threw him out of the city and they stoned him to death. And who is standing with his arms crossed looking at this whole scene and giving approval? A man named Saul. And so in Acts 7 verse 58, we see uh, Luke writes this, Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul was born in Tarsus, and he was born a Jew, and he was also born a Roman citizen. And he was trained as a Pharisee. He was actually trained under a man named Gamaliel, which Gamaliel was kind of like the leading teacher, leading theologian of the day. And uh, Gamaliel had a nickname, and his nickname actually was the beauty of the law, meaning that when Gamaliel preached the word or or taught the, the word of God, it was most beautiful when he taught it. And so that was his uh, claim to fame. And, and Saul is even taught under this man named Gamaliel. And he's, he's highly educated. Pa- uh, Saul's got an incredibly bright future ahead of him. And he is zealous for the things of God. And we'll find out here in a couple moments. Philippians 3, 4 through 7. Paul says this of himself when he's writing a letter to the Philippians, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Galatians 1, 13 through 14 says this, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, And I tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Even according to Paul's own testimony, he is incredibly zealous for the things of God. He he desires the law to be kept pure. Uh, Acts 26, verse 9 through 11, Paul continues telling of his testimony before, when, while he was dead in his trespasses and sins. He, he tells of his uh, former life. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. And this is the man Saul. And we come to Acts chapter 9, and uh, we see uh, a famous story of his conversion. Luke, Luke uh, refers to, to Saul as one who's ravaging the church. He, he, it literally means for a wild boar to come into a garden, uh, a beautiful garden, and completely lay it flat. And this is what Saul 
was doing to the believing church, to the, to the Christian church. He did everything to destroy the church. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for the letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So we're introduced to Saul, and the first thing we read about Saul is that he is breathing out murderous threats to anyone who is belonging to the way. And not only that, he's getting permission from the high priest to go into synagogues and pull out any believing, uh, anyone who would call themselves a part of the way, the one who, who are following Jesus. And this, this, uh, this um, idea of breathing out threats is this idea of like um, uh, a dragon breathing out fire through his nose. You know in the cartoons of old, you had these uh, dragons who would breathe out fire. That is, this, that is the idea that we see here of Paul uh, breathing out threats. He's snorting out the threats and so uh, he, he wants, like I said, he wants to keep the faith pure. He wants to keep the Jewish ways and the law pure. And uh, he goes to Damascus. He's on his way to Damascus by getting, um, he's getting permission to go into all the synagogues. And he's chasing these believers all the way up uh, into, uh, from foreign cities as well. And Damascus is an important city because if the way can succeed there, it's probably going to spread uh, to many different areas of the known world. Damascus was a, a, a big trade route, and there was lots of caravans there going through there, not the Dodge caravan, but uh, caravans of probably camels and traders and that type of thing. Sorry, that was my dad joke for the, the sermon. <laughs> You got to throw one in every week, right? <laughs> I'm forgiven. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Damascus is 150 to 160 miles north of Jerusalem. So, so Paul is, we see he's extremely zealous in, in stomping out the way, the, believer, the believers, um, because getting up from Jerusalem, getting up to Damascus would take quite some time. There's roughly, uh, scholars think there were probably around 10,000 Jews in Damascus at the time meeting in synagogues and, and the such. And, and uh, if, if the way gets into these synagogues, things are going to go sideways. And so Paul wants to stamp this out. He wants to bring it to an end. I love how uh, the early believers referred to themselves as the way, because it, it's not about just doing a list of things. It's not uh, following laws and rules and regulations, but it, it's, it's a way of life. And so they called themselves uh, the way, giving uh, lordship to Jesus, allowing him to shape their lives. 
And so this is Paul. This is his, uh, him being zealous to, to eradicate any believers. And we continue on in Acts 9, verse 3. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? God has got Saul's attention. During this time, most rabbis believed that God had stopped speaking to prophets. God no longer spoke. The heavens were shut, and uh, you could no longer hear the voice of God. However, you could hear the echo of God, and, and what they referred to this, uh, or the echo of the voice of God, and they referred to it as the daughter of the voice of God. Let me reassure you, Paul heard the voice of God. This was no echo. This was Jesus himself. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? God's overwhelming, never-ending love and grace, if I can say it like this, had finally caught up with Paul, or sorry, Saul. Saul thought he was doing the Lord's will. He thought, uh, he thought he was doing the Lord's will. He was zealous after the things of God. He thought that uh, he was being uh, obedient to the Lord because he was keeping the, the, the Jewish ways pure. And he hears the voice. And G, uh, uh, Paul responds and says, Lord, who are you? Or he could have said, who are you, sir? He's had an encounter with Jesus, and Jesus says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Rise, enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Jesus uh, responds with, look, Saul, you thought you were persecuting the way. You thought you were trying to, to stomp out the, the way, the believers. You're actually persecuting me. I think it's important to note that those who persecute the church, those who persecute believers, are not just persecuting his church, but they're actually persecuting Jesus. Jesus so identifies with his people that when you do something to his people, you're doing it to him. The scary thing about this is, I think, though, well, I mean, that's a scary reality. However, when we as believers talk poorly of our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are doing the very same thing. When we as believers talk poorly of the church, or that church down the road does that, they even raise their hands in that church. When we speak poorly of other believers, other Christians, we are speaking poorly of Jesus. A very convicting reality. Continuing on, verse 7, the men who were traveling with him, that being Saul, stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. 
Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. And so they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. God's grace has caught up with Paul. God's overwhelming, never-ending, like how we sing a song, his reckless love has caught up with Saul. It's never-ending. It chases you down. And Paul has been caught by this love and grace and mercy of God. C.S. Lewis had a similar experience. And C.S. Lewis described his... um, his uh, being caught by the love of God, by the grace of God, he describes it like this. He said, the great angler, he's kind of comparing it. The great angler playing his fish, the cat chasing the mouse, a pack of hounds closing in on a fox, the divine chess player moving him into the most disadvantageous positions, you can only but say checkmate. And Paul has been chased down by the grace and mercy of God and he has finally said, checkmate. Let's continue on in Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight at the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. We begin to see this wonderful transformation that I was telling you about at the very beginning when you think back on your um, experience of encountering Jesus, in a moment you were changed, you were transformed, and we begin to see this transforming power taking place in the man of Saul. He's, He's in a house, and it says, behold, he is praying. This might be the first time Saul has ever prayed a real prayer. He hasn't eaten in three days. Some believe that he was actually praying and fasting for three days. And not only was he praying and fasting, but John Stott says, with the mouth that Saul was breathing out murderous threats, he is now singing the praises of God. No doubt for the mercy that God had bestowed upon him. Paul goes from a terrorist Rounding up Christians, killing them, stoning them, putting them in prison, doing whatever he can do to make their lives a living hell. And he has now encountered the person of Jesus and he's brought into a house and he is praying and fasting and praising and worshiping the Lord. An incredible transformation. And then we come to verse 13, and Ananias, he's, I think, in many ways, a lot like us. 
But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done for the saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon his name. Ananias is not very excited about Saul becoming one of them. He's like, yeah, I don't think so. I've heard the stories of Paul. Or sorry, I've heard the stories of Saul. I've heard what he's done, and Lord, not going to happen. Growing up, I uh, played baseball on a baseball team. And there were, for whatever reason, uh, by the way, little side note, we were the Western Canadian champs at one point. No big deal. Oh, man, just kidding. I I really could care less about that. Um, Growing up, I played on a baseball team, and for whatever reason, there were a couple guys on the baseball team that made my life very difficult. They made fun of me. They uh, laughed at me. They'd push me around. They would um, tease me. They would do a bunch of different things, and None of the coaches ever stepped in or anything like that. And it it was quite difficult. And if I were to be honest, to this very day, there are still things that I need Jesus to do in my heart to to bring healing to those wounds. It's quite, uh, on some level, um, there's, there's some things that still hurt. And I'm sure many of you have experiences from your childhood, uh, much similar to mine, where, where you are walking wounded. You're, you're still, you're an adult, but you're like, that person said that thing to me when I was a little kid, and, and uh, it still hurts to this day. So, years after I was done playing baseball, I'm in church, and who do I see in a couple rows over but a guy from my baseball team? And I'm sitting there thinking, Lord, there is no way you've called this individual into your family. There's no way. Do you know how much hurt they've caused me? I'm a 34-year-old man, and I still deal with things from that time. There's no way you could call them into your family. There's no way you could extend grace to that person. This is kind of the attitude of Ananias. Initially, Lord, I've heard of what Saul's done. He's destroyed your church. He's laying it bare. He's ravaging your church. And now you're calling him one of us? I I don't know about that. the words of Jesus in Matthew 5:44 becoming quite real quite fast for Ananias Jesus said love your neighbors and pray for those who persecute you this isn't just a pretty little saying this is becoming very very real for Ananias Saul is now part of the family and and uh, we see the gospel at work in an incredibly beautiful way. There's often uh, two traps that we can fall into 
as humans when we encounter this grace and mercy and love of God. And that is, uh, the first trap is kind of the self-righteous trap. I've got my poop in a group. I've got it all together. I don't do this. I don't do that. I'm quite a good person. I don't really need the grace of God. And then the second trap is, is um, the trap that uh, uh, you believe that you've gone too far. You've done too many things that would negate uh, the grace of God covering that for you. I've done too many things for God to forgive me. I've had an affair. I'm addicted to pornography. I've been divorced three times. I've slept around. I've stolen money. I've evaded taxes. All while the grace and mercy of God is chasing you down. The reality is that whether you're in that first group where you think you've got it all together, or whether you've done it all and the grace of God could never cover it, the reality is is that we all need God's grace. We are all um, in need of his love and mercy to chase us down. Listen to Paul's words in Romans 3, 19, sorry, 3, 9 to 18. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have all charged, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That paragraph describes every one of us. But the good news is that God's overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love is chasing you down. It chases you down. It, 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 It doesn't stop until you're found. Amen? Amen. Verse 15, God is continuing to talk to Ananias and he says, go, don't worry about what he's done. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, Do you catch that? Brother Saul. Ananias has had a change of heart. Brother Saul. Saul has been a terrorist. He has been running in the opposite direction, thinking that he's doing the will of God, destroying the church. And now he's encountered Jesus, and he has a new name, Brother Saul. 
The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road to which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. I want to make a quick little plug here. Saul had encountered Jesus. He had a transformation of his entire life. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and then he was immediately baptized. On October 16th, we are having a baptismal service. And if you have never been baptized, I want to invite you to take the step in in your faith to proclaim before your church family that you have gone from death to life, that you have been transformed by the person and power of Jesus Christ. In uh, first century Christianity, there was no, it wasn't like, all right, I'm giving my life to Jesus, now 15 years later, I'm going to get baptized. That's very common right now. Um, Was not common in the first century. It was like, Where's the nearest tub? Where is the nearest pool? I'm getting baptized. Get me under that water so that I can die with Christ and I can be raised with Christ. And so, if you have not uh, taken that step of baptism, I want you to, uh, I want to invite you to um, be baptized on October 16th. So, if you'd like to be baptized, come talk with me, talk with any of the pastors, go to the information desk after the service, and we would love to be a part of that journey with you. And so Jesus is talking to Ananias, and he says, Ananias, you need to, you need to go to Paul. And so you need to go minister to Paul, and so Ananias goes to Paul. And he goes and ministers for two reasons. The first reason is that uh, Paul needs healing from his eyes. And so you need to lay your hands on, on uh, Saul, sorry, Saul, and you need to pray for healing. And then the other thing is he needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, over the past uh, three weeks, this theme of needing the Holy Spirit has been quite prominent in Brent's preaching because the book of Acts tells us that we need the Holy Spirit. And, and if you've come to this point, we're, we're now four weeks in to our series on Acts. If you've come to this point and you still don't believe that you need the Holy Spirit, I need to tell you that you're wrong. If you want to live a victorious life that Jesus has called, if you want to, um, if you want to have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, if you desire those in your life, you need the Holy Spirit because those are his uh, fruit. The fruit of having him in your life is those things. If you want to have joy in your life, if you want to have peace in your life, you need the person of the Holy Spirit. You need to be baptized in him. You need to be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. If you want to, um, Jesus says, these signs will follow them who believe. 
They will cast out demons. They will speak in tongues. They will uh, see the, the sick be healed. If you want the power that comes with the Christian life, you need the Holy Spirit. If you want the fruit and if you want the power, you need the person of the Holy Spirit. And, and this is not going to go away. We're talking about the Holy Spirit for the rest. Uh, I think we're going right till Christmas or uh, December on the book of Acts. And so if you would desire a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, please come and, at, well, first of all, you can do this on your own. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you to overflowing. But if you want to pray with someone, come to the front and we would love for, to, to pray with you and, and see the Spirit of God uh, fill you up. The Lord does not give sparingly. He gives to all who ask. And so, Continuing on, Paul is now filled with the Holy Spirit. He's encountered Jesus. He's been baptized. And what does he do? For some days, he was with the disciples at, at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. So he's literally been a believer for three, four days. And where does he go? Straight to the synagogue to preach Jesus. Incredible. He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this man the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon the name? And, and has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? Everyone's confused. What is going on? This is Saul the persecutor. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. We continue to see this radical transformation that Paul has gone through. He was uh, breathing out threats on his way to Damascus. And he's blown back onto his back by the, the light that shines upon him and, and Jesus encounters him and he goes, he's brought to the house and he's kneeling down and he's fasting and praying and he's worshiping Jesus. And what does he do next? He gets up and he goes and preaches in the power of the Holy Spirit, the risen Christ. That is gospel transformation. One of the main themes in the book of Acts is that nothing can stop the word of God. Nothing. A, rep a repeated phrase over and over is, and the word of the Lord continued to increase. One of my friends says, you can kill the messengers of the gospel, but you can't kill the message. It will go forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. The gospel will be preached and it will turn the world upside down. Just like it completely turned Saul's life upside down. When the gospel goes forth, when people encounter the risen Christ, the world is turned upside down. I'll call the worship team up and conclude with three things that I just want to reiterate. The first thing is this, that the gospel transforms lives. Paul went from a terrorist to a missionary in a moment. 
literally in a matter of days, his life is completely transformed because of his encounter with Jesus, and he is now preaching the gospel in the synagogues. And the gospel is for absolutely everyone. If you don't think you need it, you do. If you don't think you deserve it, it's for you. You need the gospel. And it is a transforming gospel. The grace of God is for everyone. No one is beyond the grace of God. In December of 2006, in December of 2006, a couple of my friends uh, got in uh, our cars and we drove down to Kansas City, Missouri, and we took part in a conference there. And uh, a month prior, Saddam Hussein had been convicted of uh, crimes against humanity. And he was to be hanged at the end of December. And it just so happened that during this conference, Saddam Hussein was to be hanged for the atrocities that he did against his very own people. And there's 15,000 people in this arena and the leader of the conference gets up and says, look, no one is beyond the grace and mercy of God. We need to get on our faces now. Saddam Hussein is about to get hanged. We need to pray that he encounters Jesus. And so 15,000 people cried out to God that Jesus would walk into his room. One of the, one of the worst human beings in history, that Jesus would walk into his room and that he would encounter and extend grace and mercy to him. I have no idea what happened to him, but I know that the grace of God is for everyone. Secondly, God's grace chases after us. Paul was in the opposite. Paul was going in the opposite direction. He thought he was doing the will of God, but he was actually going in a completely different direction, which is kind of ironic. But God's grace chased him down, and he encountered Jesus, the reckless love of God. And lastly, the word of God will go forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. Saul was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He needed it to empower him to do what God was calling him to do. And he began to preach the word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you stand with me? And let's set our gaze upon Jesus. Let's thank Jesus, for his grace, for his mercy, for his love, for his transforming work in our lives. And let's ask that he would pour out his spirit in a fresh way, that we would encounter him and be filled up to overflowing, that we too would be able to extend grace to those around us in our community, who, who we might, who, who, those who may have hurt us, who we don't think are worthy of grace, but that we would go in the power of the Holy Spirit and we would extend grace as well. Jesus, we set our gaze upon you this morning. We thank you for your mercy, for your love, for your grace. We thank you for the example of Paul's conversion.
this radical gospel transformation. And we thank you that you've done that same work in our lives. We praise you and we thank you for all that you've done. Amen. Let's worship the Lord.